Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Just a listener warning, this episode contains references to drug addiction and may not be suitable for all audiences. Everybody loves a comeback story, from the late Steve Jobs being fired from Apple, the company he started, and then returning to launch the iconic product like the iPhone, to basketball legend Michael Jordan coming out of retirement to lead the Chicago Bulls to three championships glory episodes. These are the stories of legends. There is something magical, inspirational, and remarkable about any underdog coming from behind to knock down Goliath and then become an icon. My guest today has a classic comeback story that involves struggles, personal demons, and corporate glory, then failure, and ultimately success, which he enjoys today. Sean Castrina is a serial entrepreneur, speaker, and author. He is the founder of The Weekend MBA and host of the 10-Minute Entrepreneur Podcast, a top 10 entrepreneurship podcast, as well as the author of four best-selling books. He's been featured in a range of media outlets such as Forbes, Inc., Money Magazine, as well as having an Instagram account with over 300,000 followers. We are going to chat today about the politics of comebacks, and I can't wait to get started. So welcome to my show, Sean. It's great to be on the podcast. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since 2017, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution to make the process quick and painless, the way podcasting should be. If you know me, I'm pretty obsessed with quality guests, quality content, and quality sound, and that's what Zencaster allows me to do. Not to mention, it's really easy to use, even for my guests that aren't particularly tech-savvy. There's nothing to download, they just click on the link and we start recording. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automatic post-production all in the one tool, you don't have to leave your browser to get each episode done. I want you to have the same great experience that I do for all my podcasts and content needs. So I have a special offer for you. If you go to zen.ai forward slash politics of everything and enter this promo code, you'll get 30% off in your first three months when you sign up to Zencaster Pro. That's Z. E-N dot A-I, politics of everything. It's now time to share your story. Excellent. So can you remember what your first paid job was? And that might have been in high school even. And kind of did that set you up in any way for what was to come in terms of your corporate career and then your business career? You know, I, I, I just knew I didn't want to be poor, so I'm going to start with that. But actually, <laughs> I mean, does anybody? <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah, you'd be, I tell you what, a lot of people are doing a really good job at it. Um, uh, but I, I remember I started a lawn a, a lawn mowing business, and I'm just going to parallel it because I had two jobs. So I had a lawn mowing business, and we got paid three dollars to to mow these townhouses. And what I would do is I would give my friend two dollars and let him mow it, and I would make a dollar watching him do it. Um, I would just get the jobs. And I knew then at 13 that, okay, this is how to do it. Like, okay, I'd rather make one third and do nothing than have to actually do the work. And you, you know, I could just, all I had to do is get the accounts. 
And then I had a job working at like a fast food restaurant where I was getting paid by the hour. And I knew then this, no, I, I didn't like that at all. So I, I got a taste of, you know, the entrepreneurship idea, you know, as a, as a teen and then, you know, went off to college, got my, you know, got a typical job. I just figured I'd make a lot of money and be a CEO of a company. And, you know, that, that's how everything would go. Absolutely. I love our childhood sort of innocence, if you like. I mean, I'm I'm well into my 40s now, but I remember thinking when I was a teenager, I'd be retired by 40 and that, you know, and I'd just be on the Caribbean sailing and, you know, skiing wherever I wanted. But of course, that didn't didn't work out. So I want to also just touch on, I guess, a big topic, which um, is part of your story. You mentioned um, in your pitch to me that you've had prescription medication addiction, and yeah. that must have been very challenging. And it's, it's a very common thing. So I don't think it's, you know, an elephant oh. in the room for lots of people. And particularly, we, we're well familiar with, you know, the crisis, particularly in the States around prescription medication and opioids and so forth. How did that sort of really kind of shape where you are today? Obviously, you've come back from that and you, you yeah. mentioned going cold turkey and, you know, a week. I mean, that's pretty incredible, but not everyone would be able to do that. And I just want to just touch on this because I think it's a really yeah. important part of the journey. People always talk about the success, but they often don't talk about the hardship. Yeah. So I, I was a division one college wrestler, which, so you got to kind of know that because I have a, a very tough mentality. If I set my mind to do something, I know I can. So, and, and that kind of probably led to having some back injuries. So in 2011, I'll never forget, I wake up and I have back pain. First time in my, my life. And, you know, you start going to doctors and pain doctors. And, you know, I ended up with a, a very reputable pain doctor, you would think. And it started out with just, you know, with oxycodone. And then I realized I was getting, tw- I was prescribed 20 of those a day. Literally, they were like Tic Tacs. I, I used wow. to shake the I used to shake the container because it sounded like a Tic Tac thing, and I yeah. would have to call my pharmacy in advance, like three days to get the prescription because it would be like six hundred of them, six hundred and thirty, I think, was the exact amount. And I would keep them in my safe because my secretary would say, you know, if any any of any people find out you have six hundred oxycodones sitting at your house, you know, you're gonna get you're gonna get robbed. Well, my my doctor felt like, hey, that's not enough to really help his pain. Why don't we just you know give him um, fentanyl? So he prescribed me fifty milligrams of fentanyl every three days, and then it became seventy five milligrams of fentanyl every two days. So I was on twenty oxy's with fentanyl, and this is funny thing. I don't. I, I never drank or smoked pot as a kid. Like I, I was never into anything like that. I was an athlete. I don't even drink coffee. Um, you know, I'm not even in the caffeine. So <laughs> this I, is know, extreme. So re- this is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a reputable doctor who has, you yeah. know, like a part of the hospital he has like his, his office in, uh, you know, it's a pain management center, you know, real, real fancy. And I, I realized that, you know, the, this was getting kind of ridiculous. I was losing weight like crazy, as you can imagine. Um, mm. And then he, he gets arrested and I, I tried to get my prescription somewhere else. And I figured it was like any, you know, I would just go to another pain doctor and they prescribe it to me. And that's when I got the rude awakening. Like the doctor was like, and he knew I was because I've done TV commercials with my companies and things like that. So he knew, you know, my personality, you know, he kind of can read me really quick. And he's like, Sean, you're not going to like what I'm getting ready to tell you. He goes, but there's not a doctor in the United States because this was like 2016 when the election was, and it was really yeah. big, you know, opioids. He goes, there's nobody that's going to prescribe you this. 
Like the chances of you getting a fentanyl prescription right now is zero and zero, let alone, you know, the oxys. And he said, not only that, he said, fentanyl for what you're getting should be for a cancer person who's got five years to live. So that was when you decide just to go cold turkey? Yeah, because man, my doctor's like, nobody's going to give it to you. He yeah. goes, but he, he goes, so you're going to need to go into a rehab center. Oh my goodness. This right? is Which nuts. I was never going to, yeah, right. And and so my so my family physician actually prescri- gets me one pack, five patches of fentanyl. He's like doing it out of being my doctor for 20 years. He goes, you know, get your affairs in order. This will give you one week to get your affairs in order, you know, because obviously you need to go into rehab based on the fact that you can't get any, you know, nobody's going to prescribe it. And that was on a Friday. I still have that pack of five up in my safe to remind me. And so I went to the beach with, I just called my buddies and uh, from college and rented a beach house and and went cold Turkey, went there on a Friday Uh, by the following Wednesday. I kind of had the days figured if I could do five days and then seven, so I started on that Friday and then by the following Wednesday, I, I was cold turkey. And I, if, I, if I could make it six days, you know, I, I knew I was over the hump. They said five days was the real. Was the tough you know, one. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, they compare it to Is heroin. it just like a movie? Like I've never actually had to detox from anything, but uh, is it like a movie where you get the shakes? And oh my God. Everything. Terrible. You cannot sleep. You're freezing yeah. cold. I mean, I'm, it's a hundred degrees. I'm at the beach. I feel like I'm like 20 degrees below zero. You can't sleep at all. Um, Which is torture in itself. Yeah, it is. No, it really is. I I said if I, thankfully I don't have any guns because if I had one, I'd be afraid what I might do. But yeah, you can't sleep. I just, I remember that was the hardest part. I couldn't sleep. Mm -hmm. So then I come back and I have, because I have a follow-up appointment with my doctor and I walk in and I go, um, I quit. And he goes, what do you mean? I, I go, well, I quit. I go, it was way too inconvenient to go to rehab. I don't have time for that. Really? I said, I didn't have time. I said, that was the motivator. The motivator was going to rehab. I just did not know how that was going to fit in my schedule. So um, I quit and he he said to me, because I've never had anybody quit both. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. He said, never, I've never had anybody cold Turkey fentanyl. Like never, you know, and, and um, he said, never, ever. He said, it's, it's unbelievable. He said, you really, you have a prisoner of war mentality. (laughs) Obviously. um, yeah, yeah, clearly. Or, or Which is, might have something to do with being a serial entrepreneur. Maybe it's just that, you know, high high pain, high risk threshold, high detox threshold. It all comes together as a package. I think that and I, and I hate inconvenience. You know, I don't like yeah, to be Yeah, absolutely. I have no patience. The idea of just sitting into a rehab center in these little groups talking about why we're all drug addicts, I, my head would have exploded. So, um, yeah, I, I tried it, did it a different way. Hats off to you. Touching much more on the entrepreneurship side of things, which obviously has been a big part of your journey as well, what do you think are the steps for a comeback? I mean, is there a process you think that comebacks kind of um, a trajectory, if you like, that they go along? And is it something that we all can achieve? Obviously, not everyone has the willpower and focus that you do, but is there a couple of examples of how you've really just made that comeback in various ways. And it could be, you know, relaunching your business or starting a business from scratch at a, at a later age. I think it's all very well to start a business in your 20s and be successful. Far harder to have all that stuff taken away from you and start again in your 40s or 50s or beyond, in my view anyway. Yeah, I agree. I try to tell people, don't take a risk in your 50s. <laughs> no, I, I really, I believe it because it's you, more at you stake. don't have enough time yeah. to make yeah, you don't have time to make it back up. And I've seen people do really dumb things financially in their 50s. And I tell them, man, I, I, you know, 
beta test something really, really small. See if it works. You know, never put a great, you know. Don't mortgage your house on it, maybe. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's just not very wise to to me, you know, so I I don't think that way, but I think the key to any comeback is, okay. Okay. Where are you at? You got, you got to kind of take stock of where you're at. Yeah. Do you You have to hit rock bottom though? You know, that comeback, it's, it it is an up down thing, but you know, there are people who might be on a downward slide in their business at the moment and know they need to pivot. Yeah. I don't think necessarily you have to be at rock bottom. I hopefully you can kind of catch that you're, you're on the way down the sliding board and you kind of catch yourself a little bit. So I, yeah, I don't think you want to wait to your rock bottom to, to do this, but I think it, it, you just kind of look at where you're at and you're like, okay, wait, this trajectory is not good. Like I'm, I'm going back this way, you know, the business is not doing well or my career is not doing well. And you kind of figure out some way to put the brakes on and then you start creating a, you know, the old thing is insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Okay. Wh- what, how, how can you stop what's currently happening and how can you move in a direction that's so motivating to you? This is the key. You have to have something that's so motivating to you that you're willing to either change or the strategy or, you know, endure the pain of maybe you have to do two things at once. Maybe you have to stick at your job yes. while you're doing a startup. So I never think, I don't believe you ever yeah. quit a job to do a startup. You have to earn the right to quit a job. There's 168 hours in a week. So figure it out. Um, you know, you can split your days. You can work before, you know, before you actually go to work, when you get home from work, you can work on weekends. There's so many things you can do if you're ambitious. But I think you just have to figure out what would motivate you, what would be so motivating and yet, you know, realistic. I think we have, I think our brain, especially if we're on like a downward trajectory, our brain has, has a hard time accepting challenges sometimes, you know, it quickly says, well, that's just too hard. I'll never do that. So I think you got to pick something that's challenging, but that your brain doesn't reject. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you're right. And then. Right. And set some, yeah, set some steps that you can hit. Like it doesn't, you're not going to do everything. Like Rome wasn't built in a day. So let, let's say it's a big, you know, it's a big goal to start this business. Well, maybe you break it up over 52 weeks. So it's okay. The first week I'm going to do this. Second week, I'm going to do this third week, you know, literally, you know, just create an, an index cards and write, you know, write one thing on each of these 52 index cards. And each week you work through one and boom, then you go to the next one, just like you're going through a deck of cards. There's many ways to do that, but I believe in trying to do something where it's realistic, that you have a high probability of success, where again, your brain doesn't reject it. it it's something that, you know, okay, I'm not going to do this over one month. Okay. I'm going to set my trajectory over maybe 12, you know, 12 months or a year, things like that. You know, I, I like massively big goals, but I, I think if you're on the comeback, you break it down, maybe. Yeah, bite-sized pieces. Victory. Yeah, you got to get a couple victories. Yeah, absolutely. So, in your business planning process, that you rate is quite vital, and I agree. Every business needs a plan, otherwise, it's just a, like a bit of a dream, right? We just there's no goals, there's no objectives yeah, there's no, to yeah, kind of reach. But particularly in this volatile startup world, it's easy to have just a great seed of an idea and think that's going to be enough. But what some of the processes of business planning that you think are tried and true, no matter what industry you might be in. Yeah, I mean, to me, I'm like just just put as not uh, as much planning into your you know your business plan as you would a an overseas vacation. 
Like if you were going to plan to go to the United States and you lived in Australia or whatever, you'd put some planning into it. Okay, we're going to we're going to leave at this time at night so that we can maybe, you know, fly through the night. You know, we can fly through the night, maybe not be you'd put a little bit, you know, am I going to fly into New York? Am I going to fly into D.C.? Uh, Where are we going to go visit? You you know, if you're going to do a 10 day vacation, give your business that same amount of time. Because you have to, there are certain things that you have to know that you cannot skip knowing, okay, why do you think this business is going to work? I mean, what what is the data that you have that makes you believe that this is a a good idea? Uh, Number two is, uh, okay, who's, who's your competition? What are you going to do that's different than your competition? Okay. Pricing. What is, how is your pricing going to be any different from others? Okay. Simple thing like that. Okay. Who are you going to need to start this business? Okay. You got you, you got to have to open the doors or is it an internet company? I mean, who else do you need on the mm. team? Do you need licenses? Do you need to get an LLC? You know, do you need to be a corporation? Things of that nature. How much money is it going to cost to launch this business? How much money is it going to cost to stay in business for 90 days? Okay. That, that, these are, you know, I'm just going through like the very basics, but you can see where to not have any idea of some of these things, what do you, what is going to be your method of attracting customers? Yeah, absolutely. Like, and that's what, the what big one, right? Like the, this, that it's. Oh, it is. If you can't <laughs> attract customers, you're going to be out of business. Exactly. You know, and I work obviously in the communications and PR industry. And, you know, I often talk about on this show, particularly with social media, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. There's a lot of people that I know you genuinely have followers and you're genuinely successful in what you do, Sean. But for a lot of people, they might have a lot of followers and not one sale. And I just oh, find that nuts, you know, like, what is that business about? That's a hobby. Yeah. I mean, and, you, and I always say you can kind of look if they're smoke and mirrors, look how many people like what they promote. Look at their engage. You know what I mean? You gotta, yeah. You, know, you, you need to have like five, more than 500 people engaged in whatever you're putting up. But, but in just in, in business, business is fairly simple. I'm going to make it really easy for your audience. I'm going to give them an, a quick MBA in business, three things. You got to do three things in business to be successful. Number one is you need to know how to attract customers, get people interested in whatever it is you're selling. That's number one. If you can't do that, you'll be out of business. Number two is you have to be able to sell them. You have to be able to convert them. They have to be able to buy. If they walk around your store, that's great that they walked around. It's great that you got 50, 100 people in there or they're, they're going to your website, but is it, tra- I mean, is it converting? Are people buying what it is you're, you're selling? And then number three is, do you fulfill what it is they bought? Can you get it to them in a timely manner so that they want to do business with you again? The, the fulfillment part, the warranty part, the back end, that, that's it. That's business. Now, you can make it really, really complicated, but if you can't attract customers, obviously you'll be out of business. If you can't sell customers, you will have no revenue. You will be out of business. If you promise to send this person this, this product, on your site and you don't send it to them, the reviews are going to put you out of business. So you have to be able to fulfill it. So you just, you have to be able to do those three things. And if you can't, you know, you're going to be out of business. You cannot, and you cannot be weak in any of those. No, absolutely. I guess you just got to keep innovating, right? Innovate or sort of, you know, the risk is that you become irrelevant. So you great, you get the great customers, but do you keep them? That's always my thing, you know? Yeah. I think you have to constantly say, you know, what is, what is it my customer is going to want five years from now? You always, you know, you engage, you know, you got to kind of see around, you know, Steve Jobs said this, you got to be able to see around corners. So, you know, just like, you know, in America, like you had Sears and, you know, Sears and JCPenney and all these stores go out of business. They, they stopped seeing the future. 
they, they stopped going, you know, they didn't see the internet. Like, how did they miss that? You know, Blockbuster Video was, yeah. you know, was, you know, having these big stores and Netflix is shipping out, you know, three movies and, and whenever you send them back, you send them back. And then you had Redbox with these, you know, you could buy them right in front of, you know, in front of every grocery store and in front of every, you know, um, drugstore and things like that. And, and, and nobody at Blockbuster thought, hey, you know what, maybe these stores are not going to survive. You know, they have a, they're very expensive to maintain a retail store. So, yeah, you have to kind of look and, and see around the corner and see what, what's next. Yeah, absolutely. So how has the war for extraordinary talent changed since you started recruiting maybe your first staff and your first business years ago? And I think from, you know, someone who's obviously worked in multiple entrepreneurship entities, what do you think matters most to help great people stay with you? Because I think it's a lot harder to find people that are fabulous that are going to stay with you for the long term than it was perhaps a decade ago. And that's partly COVID, the great resignation, but it's also just what you can offer them people want a two-way thing it's not just about money and and you know a job title these days yeah there there's so many things that keep people with you i've just a few that i that i know that i you know some people it's money okay it is there's no doubt about it number two is some people it's flexibility i have a guy who works for me wants to get home so he can take his son to football practice and that's important. I've had guys who want to take their kids, didn't want to miss any of their kids' baseball games. I had a secretary who, during the spring, loved to ride horses, so I'd let her out early. Whatever it is, you know, so that's, people want flexibility. That, that's really important. Some people want a seat at the table in that you want them to run a division. Well, they want to be involved in the decision-making. Yeah. They want to feel like they're involved in whatever direction we're going. They want to have some input in uh, some people just want to be a part of a team. I mean, they love that team concept. If you validate them and, hey, Johnny, we could have never done this without you. It's just so great that some pe- that's enough. Some people love that. Uh, you, there, there's a variety of reasons why people will stay with you. And you better find out which language works with different people because everybody is different. I used to think it was purely money. And, and, and flexibility is everybody as valuable as money. Yeah, I have learned um, some people want ownership and there's nothing you're going to pay them that's going to eagle. They want a piece of the pie. Mm. OK, they know they're going to help you grow that pie and they want a piece of that pie. So, you, you know, that might be whatever it takes. But you, you got to think. Maybe you just need to ask gonna, people too, right? Or do you think people come to you these days and, you know, that relationship with the boss is kind of a bit different now. People will quite openly say these are my non-negotiables or this is what I'm asking yeah. for. And, and I ask them that anyway, because I'm like, I don't want to waste our time. I mean, I ask it very quickly in the interview process. I always say, listen to me, what do I need to offer you that's going to make you happy? Yeah. You know, what, what, in other words, if we were, if for us to leave this conference room and you to take this job, what, is it, what, what do you want? Let's, you know, beat around. I said, it's going to be really easier. You may ask for something I, I'm not willing to give you. Sometimes people ask for something that will totally ruin the entire you know, salary structure that you have because it's too high. And if anybody else finds out this person's getting that, you know, you're going to have a mass exodus. Yeah. So yeah, you do that. The other thing I, I like to do with existing employees is I constantly say, hey, w- what's going to make you happy to the point where you're still here five years from now? Yeah. Where do you see yourself? What do you see yourself doing within our organization? That's so exciting. And do a lot of people you. have that vision? Like, do you think people think five years is too long yeah, these they days? May, I'm just- they may, I do. You know, and I say to them, I, they go, well, I haven't really thought about that. And I go, but I, I want you to. What about your yeah. job do you really like? What about your job Absolutely. do you not like? 
I, I, I just ask them, like, what, what would you mm-hmm. prefer not to be doing that we have you doing? So, you, you, you know, you got to dig down a little bit. And they go, well, I, you know, this part of the job I really don't like, but I love this part. Okay, I go, well, then we need to phase you out of this over the next 12 months. I need you to be patient with me. But now that you've shared that with me, it's 100% on my radar. And I'm going to put together yeah. a plan in place so that you do less of this and more of that. You just, you got to engage. The problem, what we do is we wait for people to come to us when they're ready to quit. You know, they already have a job offer. And then we start throwing them everything. Like, why didn't you offer me that? Why did it take me getting ready to quit for you to offer me that? You can't, you got to be proactive on the retainment, retaining talent. That that's an active muscle that you better keep engaged. Absolutely. Changing tack a little bit, I'm a believer that most people have got through their businesses and their careers to date because they've had one or two fantastic mentors and sometimes they're formal, sometimes they're family members, sometimes they're just people they've seen on TEDx, believe it or not. But do you have one or two that kind of stand out for you and why? Yeah, you know, I, I think, I mean, I've read tons and tons of books. So I, I like every, so I look at that, like if it's leadership, I, I love what John Maxwell, you, you know, has to say. And, and I, you know, I, I listen to guys like Ed Milet. And, and, and so I, I try to just get a variety of that. But now in my own personal life, I've worked for, you know, work with great people. Like my first person I worked for right out of college, I'll never forget. I come to a real, to a staff meeting and I thought I knew everything, of course. Right. And so I brought him I, all these problems that I noticed. And I remember him saying to me, Sean, don't bring me a problem that you haven't come up with two solutions for. I love that. Yeah. Don't bring me a problem. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm, I'm yeah, going to take don't, that. Don't, I, 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 problems, we can find them all day long. Bring me a problem with yeah. two solutions. And so, you know, I've been around sharp people and, and I've had business partners that were, you know, better in certain areas than me. So I've always just tried to. That's important though. I think that's great to, to sort of, you know, not have a mirror yeah, image of yourself in a business. Yeah, they're opposite they're smarter than me in areas that I'm not as smart and there's areas that I have strength. So I, what I've done more than anything regarding the mentoring is I've always surrounded myself with business partners. I have a lot of, I have partners in all my businesses and that's allowed me to kind of not have to be great at everything. So I don't, you know, I can stay in my strike zone. And I'd be a master of everything. My strike zone is probably recruiting and retaining talent and getting, getting things off the ground. And then I get bored and I want somebody yeah. else to take it over and then I want to go start something else. But but they're probably the things I do really well. And I think today you're right when you talk about TEDx, you, you can find an author that just speaks in a way that you, you know, that you really like, or you may find somebody who hosts a podcast that, you know, talks in a way that, you know, gets you further down the road. I mean, this day and age, we have so many resources. Good golly. I mean, we, we have so many voices. We, we don't have lack of information. We have lack of execution. <laughs> we don't. We don't have an information problem. We, we we can go on YouTube and be you know mentored by God. You know we can watch people that are, you know obviously aren't even alive anymore and listen to their great speeches and things of that nature. We just have a failure to execute. That that, that tends to be the problem. Absolutely. If we spoke again in one year's time, Sean, what would be your number one goal that you hope to have achieved, and why is that important to you? Uh, you know, I'm working on a few things. I mean, I, I'd like to possibly pull off my weekend MBA event one more time. That was the hardest thing I think I've done in, in the last decade. And number two would be I'm franchising one of my companies. So th- they would be the two that would stand out. If I if I accomplish one out of the two, I, I, it would be a really good 12 months because they're, they're very ambitious goals. But they're, they're the two that are 
in my foremost right now is franchising one of my companies and and trying to pull the weekend MBA off again. Absolutely. Fantastic. So final takeaway message for us today on the politics of comebacks. If anyone out there is facing one and they may be, you know, not in the position you are right now at the top of the pinnacle, what would you say to them? You can do it. I mean, no matter what happened, no matter where it is, you got to get a, you got to, typically what happens is our self-esteem is at its lowest and we don't think we can. And I'm just telling you, you got to figure out a way to get a victory, a small victory. I don't care what it is. Yeah. And you got to get habits that make you feel like you're, you're maybe that's jumping out of bed in the morning, exercising. You got to start doing, you got to get little victories. I, I don't care where they are. You got to start getting some victories, some self, self-discipline victories, some little things. And, you, and you'll be shocked where you're at a year from now. We always want the comeback to happen quickly. It, it generally doesn't. So just try, try to, you know, set some, some obtainable goals over the, and break the year into 90 day segments. So that way you'll get more done. So set some goals for the next 90 days and you get through those, set some goals for the next 90 days and typically improve your habits. Generally, when we start slipping back and, and the reason why we're, we have the problem, we, we, we're, we, we got some bad habits, whether that's just, we're lazy, or, you know, we've lost some ambition, um, whatever the case may be. Get get better habits. Get better Absolutely. habits. Break the year into four. You know, break the year into four chunks and try to get some wins under your belt. Look, I've loved our conversation today, and I'm sure our audience has had some great uh, value takeaways as well. If you do want to connect further with Sean, of course, there'll be some details on the show notes. As always, until next time, take care. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review. And share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.